In this Q&A episode from the Permaculture Podcast, I address a question from Duncan, who reached out and asked, Is technology anathema to permaculture? As I'm responding to that question via a podcast broadcast out over the internet, I'm obviously not opposed to modern tools for current problems. But when it comes to the role of technology in permaculture, before we dive too deep into all those options, our practices should be informed by work that is done by hand, on paper, on the ground, and in person, starting with ourselves and then with our clients, whether those are friends and family or paying customers. First, I say this because I think back to my teacher training when I sat down and talked to Jude Hobbs and Andrew Millison, and they shared that, unless you're already somebody who has training as a landscape architect, landscape designer, or some other similar background, just completing a permaculture design course isn't enough to hang out a sign and start calling ourselves professional designers. It takes time working with people we know, based on where they live and their unique properties, to get a feel for how the design process results in a finished design along with the manual skills that go into that. So if you're just starting out, get out there, observe, build your knowledge, and hone your skills. Spending a year or three doing this, again by hand, on paper, on the ground, and in person, helps us understand the flows through our garden, clients, and design systems. Being out there in different weather and seeing where water pools, snow drifts, or wind blows helps us to embody our ability to read the landscape and develop our own unique design vision, which then informs the priorities of our personal practices. As an example from my own work, living in the Mid-Atlantic on the east coast of the United States, I'm in a relatively wet, temperate climate. We get regular light rains, as well as heavy storms throughout the year, especially during the late summer hurricane season. Being out in light versus heavy rains showed me where water was likely to pool versus where it might flow, which could help me locate areas for a rain garden or to understand where erosion might be an issue. Walking that land a few days after a heavy storm in bare feet, I could feel spots where the ground was still damp, which wasn't always the same places where water pooled, but rather where the soil was richer loam or less compacted and the water was able to infiltrate and be retained after the storm. If those spaces were close to a home, those could be good candidate sites for raised garden beds without needing to double dig, or perhaps places to avoid planting anything that doesn't like to have damp or wet roots. Observing the land during the effects of storm fronts driven by the moisture and winds of a hurricane more than 60 miles from the nearest ocean allowed me to see the impacts of flooding and how water moved through the landscape, how high those waters rose and taught me a vital lesson on where not to put things I wasn't prepared to lose. That, then, informed the time spent with clients to ask them if they had ever observed flooding on the land, how high those waters had risen, or, if they knew nothing about this, to check the local floodplain map and see if there were any risks to their home, garden, or existing plantings. Related to this, being comfortable entering a client's home, walking their landscape, and performing a client interview with them at their kitchen table is also a different experience than doing so over email or by phone, and is a good soft skill to have and pair with hand mapping, drawing, and designing skills. This way, when you're sitting with a client, 
If they ask you a question, you can sketch some ideas up for them quickly. I think it was Bill Wilson of Midwest Permaculture who jokes that he can barely draw a stick figure. So, you don't have to be great at this to be a good designer, but you do need to be practiced, and the only way to do that is to sit down and try your hand at it until you feel comfortable putting it all together. Once we've completed a few years of that hands-on, on the ground, and in the soil work, we can use the knowledge we've developed to inform what technology to use and how to best use the items we choose. We'll not only make better use of those tools, but they'll also make our work much, much quicker. Drawing on my experiences designing for clients, the following example walks you through that process and features some of the tools and technology I've used and how I've used them. When visiting a client's site during a walkthrough, we can use a smartphone to take pictures, to remember things for later, or to be able to post about a plant that we're not familiar with to a plant ID group to learn more about it. Using digital maps, we can drop pins with notes to refer back to later, or type up our client's notes on our phone, or use a tablet to create digital sketches in something like Procreate. Depending on the nature of your visit or consultation, you could open up Google Slides and start dropping rectangles and squares and circles to create a rough map and image of your shared vision with your client. When you get back to your design studio, you can use satellite images from something like Google Earth to look at the site over time. With the built-in measurement tools, you can take site measurements without needing to pull out a tape measure while you are on site and instead focus on your conversation while you're there with your client. One of my favorite things here is to measure and calculate the square footage of any roofs on the design site and then use those numbers to calculate the amount of rain that can be harvested for water catchment from them based on both a 1 inch or 2.5 centimeter rain event as well as the expected yearly rainfall based on the annual historic precipitation. With those measurements and historical research complete, you can grab those satellite images, throw them into PowerPoint, and work up your site plans. In that same application, you can load pictures that you took and import those too to create overlay images of where you see the design in 3, 5, or 10 years. In there, you can also include tables and charts for an incremental design and related planting lists. Once those are together, you can save yourself and your client some time by holding a follow-up meeting virtually using Google Meet or FaceTime, and there you can present your slides to your client and give them a walkthrough of your design in order to get their approval before you finalize the design and send everything to them. Finally, depending on the client's preferences, you can email them everything and continue to offer support remotely by email or video call, or print everything out and hand deliver it all to the client in person with one last walkthrough before moving to the next stage of your design and implementation cycle with them, whatever that may be. The applications I mention here are by no means comprehensive. There are other amazing pieces of software you can use to mock up a design, like SketchUp, AutoCAD, or, for the really daring, something like Shapeworks. If you're familiar with the Adobe line of products, such as Photoshop or InDesign, those are fantastic ways to create images or documents for your clients. I also know there are folks out there who fly drones over their client sites to record video, which looks absolutely amazing. If drone tours and flyovers are something you're considering for clients, please check your local laws 
as this activity may require a professional drone pilot's license, and I don't want you to run afoul of the FAA in the United States or the equivalent elsewhere. As always, I'll include links to all these resources, including some of my favorite drones for permaculture work, in the show notes. Whatever technology you decide to use, start small, stay simple, with paper and pencil, on the ground, with your clients. As you build your knowledge, grow your skills with the tools and technology you already know, and use and see how they fit into your work as a professional designer. If you eventually outgrow them, and you may or may not, depending on what they are, look for the next thing that can take you further and try your hand at it, knowing that you can always fall back on something familiar and comfortable if a time or situation calls for it. However, that's just my thoughts and opinion on Duncan's question as it relates to permaculture design and as a place for us to start a broader conversation on the role of technology in permaculture. Do you agree or disagree with my thoughts in this episode? Do you have follow-up questions on this topic? Get in touch. Call 717-827-6266, email show at thepermaculturepodcast.com, or head over to thepermaculturepodcast.com, click on contact, and send me a direct message. However you decide to get in touch, whatever you have to say, I'd love to hear from you. Until we meet again, spend each day examining your relationship with technology and how you use it in your permaculture practice while taking care of Earth, yourself, and each other. <laughs>